Good morning. Please turn to the book of Acts, chapter 7. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning, for the blessings that we've already had, the way that your Spirit's been at work in us, the way that we've had fellowship with one another because of our common Father. And we pray that you'd help us now as we look to your Word. Father, our desire is not that we would have our own idea about who you are but that we would believe what you've told us. That we would believe your word. Help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last time we read, you know, um, Stephen is in a lengthy sermon. High-pressure sermon, right? I mean, this is big time. He is preaching to the Sanhedrin. This is not a small thing that's happening. And if you remember his argument, he turned to... There's a couple things that Stephen is arguing with them. One, God often worked outside of Jerusalem and often worked outside of the temple. And that the Jews regularly rejected the people that God sent to them. So, Stephen, in last time we, um, we read up until verse 53, I think, last time. And he talked about Moses, who had a very special life, if you remember. And Stephen covers three sections of that. Three 40-year periods. First, Moses as a baby. He's living, his parents, the midwife who helped him did not fear Pharaoh. They feared God. They refused to destroy him as they were supposed to do. And Moses ended up being adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. So he lives for 40 years in Pharaoh's court as a son to Pharaoh's daughters. In in essence, Pharaoh's grandson. We're told he was taught well. He had a fine education. He lived with the most powerful family in Egypt. I'm, I'm sure it was a good life for him. And then Stephen talked about the initial rejection of Moses. You remember this? He sees an Egyptian abusing an an, uh, Israelite and he's stirred up with righteous wrath and he kills the Egyptian. Not intending to become like a, a judge over everybody in the moment. He saw wrong and did something about it. Later, two Israelites are fighting with each other and Moses is like, hey, quit, knock it off. And they... They reject his um, being a mediator between people who are having problems, and they say, "Who? Are, what are you? Are you going to kill us like you killed that Egyptian?" Moses is shook by this and flees to Midian. And Stephen talks about that section of his life, which is another forty-year period, and that's where God revealed Himself to Moses 
directly. And where we are told that God spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Exodus 33:11. And we talked about this, do you remember? If you are said to be God's friend, that is the highest honor that could be bestowed upon you. God is my friend. And he is your friend, Christian. Jesus said, I call you friends. This man, Moses, who's highly honored by God, is rejected by the Israelites again and again. God honored Moses, but the people did not. They rejected. It's similar. You remember when the people cried out for a king? And Samuel warned them, No, this is not good. Trust me, it's not good. You don't need a king. You have a king already. You remember this? And God tells Samuel, It's okay. Do it. They didn't reject you. They rejected me. And that is what's happening. As they reject the words of Moses and his counsel and complain, they're not actually doing it against Moses, but God. Right? Isn't Moses God's man? They rejected God and his good plans. And so Stephen, he's exposing this long-time sin in Israel. God raises up leaders to bless the people again and again. Stephen wants them to see God is blessing you now with another leader, another person that could be said God spoke to him face to face. Even Jesus is the face of God. You gonna, Stephen is trying to get to the point of, are you going to reject him too? Don't fall into the same errors for thousands of years. God's working a new thing, maybe in a way you didn't expect, but isn't that what he did with Abraham? That's part of Stephen's sermon. Abraham, he wasn't a Jew. God turned him into a Jew. Isn't that what he did with Moses? A new thing? And he's blessing them now through Jesus and the apostles. And then, so then he gets to his point about what about the temple? Because that was one of the false accusations that they made. They said that they're always talking bad about the temple. Which is false. But what they were teaching was is that God doesn't live merely there. Stephen says he doesn't live in houses made by hands. What house can contain God? It's a, a, God is difficult to define, right? Does he exist in a pinhead? Yes. He is there. Fully present. 
Can the whole universe hold him? No. But how tall is he? But is he is he this tall or is he as tall as you can possibly imagine? Mm Mm-hmm. But how much does he weigh? Well, he's spirit. But he's big enough that he can hold all the weight of the oceans in the palm of his hand. It's, It's hard to define exactly, right? What we know is he's massive in power. No one can stay his hand or say, what are you doing? That's wrong. Don't do it. He does what he wants because he is sovereign. He has the power and will to accomplish what he wants to do. He doesn't live in a temple. At least not in Jerusalem. The temple's not what's important. That's what Stephen is trying to get at. God has revealed himself. Jesus has made him known. Now God is in his people. He doesn't say, I'll meet you here. Come here and I'll meet you. He says, I will abide with you. It's different. The building's not where he dwells. He dwells in his people. It's interesting. Well, how did they respond? What we see is that Stephen's sermon gets cut off before he finishes. If we look at verses 52, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Verse 54, we'll read through verse 8 of chapter 8. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Verse 1, And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. 
Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Amen. Verse 54, they were enraged. They ground their teeth at him. Do you, doesn't that give you a picture immediately? If you see somebody like that, you know they're very angry. I mean, he's basically said all throughout all your history, you know the bad guys throughout all your history, Jews, you're those guys. You're those guys. When we look back in history and we read about the people who killed the prophets, you're them. Obviously, they didn't take it well. They're enraged, the scripture says. Listen, did he stir them up for no reason? No. We are told that the Holy Spirit was upon him mightily. God's grace was in him. He preached what he should have preached. What God wanted him to preach. They were enraged. They ground their teeth at him. Verse 55. He, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. This is interesting. Jesus is usually said to be sitting at the right hand of God. Stephen, listen, he he didn't miss see, right? He didn't think he saw it. The text tells us without a shadow of a doubt, full of the Holy Spirit, he saw this. He was not mistaken. It was true. God let him see heaven and the Son of God standing. Listen. I heard this from a preacher a long time ago. Jesus almost standing with concern, with care for his son, for his brother. He knows what's about to happen. He's not sitting at the right hand of God. He's standing at the right hand of God, looking at what's happening. This idea that God is impersonal is a lie. Does he care about all your little problems? Yes. This notion that God is too busy to care about your little problems is wrong. It it introduces a false idea that God can't keep track of everything. He's got to pick and choose the important things to focus on. Don't bring your little complaints to God. Listen to me. Yes, don't complain. Be content. But God cares. He does. It is the consistent testimony of Scripture. God cares. Even for the weakest among us, right? Does God care for orphans? 
They're pitiful. They have no one to take care of them at all. No power, nothing desirable about them. For most people, orphans are seen to be a burden. God loves them. He cares for them. Widows, for most people, widows, they can't work anymore. They can't contribute. All they do is take resources. God cares for widows. Does He care for your problems? If you have in your mind that God doesn't, change your mind because He does. If the widow can go to the unrighteous judge and the unrighteous judge change his mind, and the point was not that God's unrighteous, the point was even that evil person would change. I'm not evil. Bring your request. Stephen saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, verse 56, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now this is interesting too, right? This is, isn't this an, an apologetic? I've never heard it used this way. When did Jesus ascend? They watched him go into heaven. But what we would think is that they never saw him again, right? With their eyes. They watched him go into heaven. They're gazing. They're just shocked at what they've just seen. And here Stephen confirms he is next to God. He is at the right hand of God. I see it. It's interesting. Verse 57, they cried out, that is, his opponents, with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. I almost get a picture of when I read this, like they don't want to hear it for fear they might believe it. They stop their ears just so they can't hear any more and run at him to get rid of him quickly. They refuse to listen. They're so angry. They stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Verse 58, then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. Now, I don't know the judicial process as it relates to his stoning. What we do know is normally they were not permitted to put people to death without Roman approval. Right? I mean, if they didn't need it, they would never have gone to Pontius Pilate and said, please have him crucified. They just would have crucified Jesus. They had already decided to, but they needed the Romans to agree. It doesn't seem like they had a trial and determined that his case was deserving of death by stoning and that the Romans approved. It seems to be in a fit of rage they drug him outside the city and stoned him to death. And by the way, this is horrific, isn't it? I believe God did this initially so that they would see the horrific consequences of sin. 
Can you? It, it, it's unpleasant. Let's put them out and pelt them with stones again and again and again until they're dead. They drag him out in a fit of rage without a proper trial. It it seemed almost certain. And they stone him. The witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And this is our, our first introduction to Saul, who later is renamed Paul. And let this be a, a word to us too. Do you think you're too far gone? God saved Saul. He can save. Verse 59, as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen in death is, does it remind you of someone? Full of the Holy Spirit, Stephen. Like his Lord, he prayed, receive my spirit. Like his Lord, in the face of brutal treatment, cries out that God would not hold the sin against them. He wanted God to receive him. He knew that the sin that these people had committed against him was very grievous. He prays that God would not hold that against them. Other things, okay, but not this. Have mercy. And he fell asleep. So let's not be confused. He wasn't asleep. He died. It's a polite way to say he died. How do we know he died? In a few verses we read, they buried him. He's dead. 8. 1. Saul approved of his execution. What we think, what we read about Paul later is that there were Jews that thought they were doing the right thing in their warped minds. In their fallen reasoning, they viewed these people as enemies of the, of the God of Israel and that they were helping God by killing them. Saul approved of his execution. Mm-hmm, they should do that to him. Because they stopped their ears. They refused to hear. I mean, from Paul's letters, he seems to be very logical and reasonable and wise. And I, I find it hard to believe that that same person would be listening to Stephen and saying, we need to kill him. His arguments make no sense at all. He's evil. It, isn't that odd? Because sinners 
cannot receive the things of the Spirit. They're spiritual. The natural man, he cannot understand it. It's a different language, one that he does not understand. You could say in order to come to Christ, you have to be given the gift of tongues. That you might understand the language of the Spirit. Verse 2, I'm oh, sorry, the, the end of verse 1. There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. <clears throat> so this first stoning of Stephen led to more. The the anger that they had, the way that they stopped their ears, they not only wanted to kill him, but their their wrath has expanded now. Any who follow Jesus, let's find all of them. Let's find all of them. A great persecution begins against the church in Jerusalem. And it... Many things happen, but the result is that the Christians are scattered. They don't congregate in this massive group, right? 3,000 are added in one day. Multitudes are being added. The church had grown very large in Jerusalem. As a result of persecution, they're scattered. There's pockets of Christians all over the area, throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And what happens is, it's, it turns out to be a blessing that they're scattered. We've talked about this before, about bad things happening to good people. Why? And I confess, I have to say, I don't know why. But it's for a good reason. You say, well, what's the reason, Bill? And I'll say, I don't know. That's all we can say. But we know for sure bad things happen to good people and it's God's will that it happened. Okay, well, all this persecution that happened to the church as a result of preaching Jesus and the forgiveness of sin with God resulted in them being killed and imprisoned. Why? I don't know all the reasons, but I do know this. A good thing happened because of it. They are dispersed throughout the whole region and they give testimony to the work of God. Are you going through a trial? Do you question? Why, Lord? Good question. Ask Him. But if you don't know the reason, it doesn't matter. It's for a good reason. All things work together for good for those who love Christ. Verse 2, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. So we know he, he wasn't asleep. He was dead. They buried him. <laughs> Verse 3, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. 
and thinking he was doing something good. Isn't that the height of evidence that humans are fallen? You can drag off the bride of Christ and kill them and put them in prison and think what you're doing is good? Your mind is messed up. This is God's beloved people. Verse 4, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. So um, Philip seems to be the same Philip that we just read about. One of the men who was put in charge of the distribution to widows, Stephen and Philip. Philip goes down, he's preaching in Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Now listen, if you remember about Samaria, remember the Jews didn't like Samaria and would go way around instead of going through there because they just hated the people. And it's, it's strange because they're not that different. They're not that different. If you remember, Samaria, they're Jews and Gentiles mixed. Right? Seems to be the leftovers of the, the kingdom of Israel when Judah and Israel split. Seems to be the leftover people who worshiped that God in that area where they weren't supposed to worship. And a whole separate sect developed over time. They believed in the God of Israel. But they didn't think where they should worship him was in Jerusalem. They had a different place. You remember Jesus met a woman at the well in Samaria. And she said, well, the Jews say we got to worship in, in Jerusalem, but we worship on this mountain. Remember that? And Jesus said, in the future, that's not going to be important. You think it is now, but it's not. And he preached to the people in Samaria. Remember? She testified to her neighbors and her friends. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. He did not stay away from Samaria. Why were they even in Samaria? He wanted to preach. And Philip goes to Samaria and proclaims to them the Christ. Listen, the Jews would have said, no, don't, even if they thought what Philip was doing was good, they still would say, don't go to Samaria. They're dogs. There's no point to even go there. Verse 6, the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. The quote, righteous Israelites rejected them. Especially the leadership. But in Samaria, they were listening closely. They were listening closely. They paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. What signs? We haven't heard about him doing any signs. Well, the text tells us right after. 
Unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. Through the ministry of Philip, many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And we've discussed this. This is not like herbal remedies, you know, before the, before the time of pharmaceuticals. And God gave them the ability to mix the right herbs and put an ointment on their leg and now they can walk. Listen, paralyzed people, their legs are useless. There's no recovery happening, especially at that time. By the power of God, through Philip, many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And the people saw the power of God through him and listened to what they said. Isn't this interesting? Did Philip heal more people than Jesus? No. I don't believe so. Jesus, we are taught again and again and again how multitudes of people came to him. And he healed them all. Why did the leadership not believe like they did in Samaria? Samaria, they saw the signs. He casts out devils. Paralyzed people are healed by Jesus' disciples. And they, they rightly say, no one can do this unless God is with them. We need to pay attention to what he's saying. But in Israel... Many did pay attention, but many did not, even though seeing everything. Verse 8, so there was much joy in that city. Joy because God's work, right? Joy because of deliverance. People with evil spirits who are saved. Paralyzed people who can now use their legs again. People who felt the guilt and shame of sin being forgiven by Jesus. There was much joy in that city. Much joy. Well, next time we'll read about Simon the magician. God willing. Listen. People in the scriptures, we've, Stephen has said it. Philip has said it. Multiple people and through all through our study of Luke, don't be hearing and not believing. There is not a neutral place to be. Unbelief is a sin. Isn't it? Jesus said, This is my son, I'm well pleased, and you say, I don't believe it. That's a sin. Ask God to open your understanding. And you, don't stop your ears. Listen. Lest you perish in the way. Come to Christ. You will be forgiven. And there will be much joy in your heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and for this, um, the book of Acts that we can read about all these things that were happening. 
We thank you for the way you used your children. We thank you for the way that the gospel spread, even if it they were scattered because of bad things. We know that you used it for good. Father, we pray that you'd help us increase our faith. Increase our love. And be with us the rest of today. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.